Are adventure and relaxation on your mind? Jump in the car and head to Fauquier County, Virginia this weekend. Just a short drive from D.C. off I-66 and nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Fauquier County has it all, including picturesque hiking trails, Rappahannock River access, plus over 25 wineries, breweries, and cideries. Visit the many unique shops and farm-to-table restaurants of Fauquier County's towns and villages, or take in the many historical attractions suitable for all ages. Check out visitfauquiercounty.com. That's visit, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R.com. Fauquier County. Find what you love. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 13, Episode 115. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Glad to be back with you guys for this Monday show. Hopefully everyone had a good weekend. Dave Bryan's the birthday boy. Just had the big uh, birthday on Sunday, so if you have not done so already, be sure to embarrass him and wish him a very happy birthday. Hopefully you had a good one, Dave. Yeah, I did, uh, and there's no, uh, there's no true to the rumor that I, I got to watch Joe green play as a rookie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, okay. I'm old. I'm not, I'm old. I'm not that old. Uh, yeah. Nice quiet day. Got to watch uh, a little bit of buckos there and got to watch the, uh, the, the, the Mullers game mostly in its entirety and got to go out to eat and leave the house for a little bit. So, uh, uh, another trip around the sun. That one was a painful one for me. I don't want, I don't want that much pain and then those many doctor visits in a uh, trip around the sun. So hopefully this next one, uh, won't, 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 won't involve all that, but, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. A lot of Steelers related stuff as the draft gets closer and, uh, boy, we get a lot of good feedback from that Dick LeBeau interview mm-hmm. in the podcast as well, too, too. So good job on that. Yeah, thank you guys for listening and providing your feedback. We figured you would enjoy it, but it is always good to to actually hear that, have some articles written up over the course of the weekend. And today, based on that interview, we'll probably have a couple more going forward. Just a quick uh, heads up, Dave and I will have a YouTube live stream tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern time for an hour, the last one before uh, the uh, NFL draft kicks off. And so... Um, that's going to be, you know, probably a, a pretty busy night for us tonight. And I believe I, I, I'll, I'll firm up the details for tonight during the live stream, but I believe my, uh, part two of my walk the mock live stream that was so popular the last time we did it will be, we'll say Wednesday night is the, the Wednesday evening is, is the date I'm targeting for, but I'll have those details for the live stream tonight. Back to the Pittsburgh Steelers and I would wager to say, and maybe I'm a prisoner of the moment, but I would wager to say this has been the most consistently busy offseason to be a Pittsburgh Steelers fan or a Pittsburgh Steelers blogger like you and I. And as long as I can remember, because Pittsburgh you know, continues to add to the roster and did so Friday with uh, the reported signing of Tanner Muse, which we discussed on the Friday show. And then Friday afternoon, early evening, team adding to its roster even more, claiming punter. Braden Mann off of waivers from the New York Jets and so have a second punter on the roster to compete with Presley Harvin III this summer. So Braden Mann, the former Jet, now a Steeler. 
Yeah, and we expected somebody to be in camp this offseason to uh, help uh, push and compete against uh, uh, Presley Harvin III, right? So you got a guy. Look, the Jets fans seem to be pretty damn happy that that, that Braden Mann's no longer uh, you know, part of their team there. So it looks like another... You know, uh, and wasn't there a couple of years ago that they had two punters and went with no, uh, neither one of them right before the season, you know, uh, talking about the Steelers there. And it'll be interesting to watch this play out. But uh, it looks like barring someone else being, you know, fi- finding an upgrade over those two for a, for a cheap price. And the thing about Braden Mann is you're claiming a contract off waivers. He's in his... Uh, Final year, I think of his of, of his uh, rookie deal, and I think it's one point oh one million. So not a lot of expense involved uh, in that to bring in a guy who has punted uh, quite a bit already in the in the NFL. There, so uh, the biggest surprise, I guess, is that they did it this early. You know, but I guess on the flip side, uh, what Braden Man weren't, weren't the Jets supposedly trying to trade him or something, mm-hmm. and, yep. uh, uh, and and couldn't get any offers on him and just ended up uh, putting them on waivers and and that's the easiest way to get somebody at a very good price is 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 claim them off waivers that way so uh some punter competition that we we you know everybody probably thought was coming and now you got two guys that have some experience going against each other yeah just the opportunity presenting itself with the the waiver claim uh opportunity the book on man is that he's got a a massive leg had big numbers at texas a and m was one of the top punters back in twenty twenty six round pick uh of the jets and maybe the question's been about me a little bit on consistency more so in terms of out kicking coverage and hang time and placement and some of the more i guess nuanced aspects of it but uh big leg punter. I believe he won. Yeah, he was a Ray Guy award winner back in 2018. So that's two uh, Ray Guy award winners on this roster and Harvin and Mann. Um, and, and so I know Mann also did kickoffs. And that's kind of interesting to me is that mm-hmm. you know, I just had the, the thought and it's all one component of probably several in terms of what led to the waiver claim. But, you know, Chris Boswell has been the kickoff specialist for his, you know, his time in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh basically always had kickers do that job. And with some of the injuries he's had in 2018 and, you know, last year battling stuff, I can't imagine if you got, you know, hamstring or groin or whatever the issue is that the kicking off is good for your body. And so maybe their, their thought is man could potentially do that. And that would help uh, preserve Boswell. If man were to win that job, obviously that's all way down uh, the line down the road, but uh, the book on man is it's got a big leg, just has to be, you know, his net average has never been good. I think college and in NFL. And so um, that's been the biggest issue he's had in his career. All right. So, uh, you know, will they have a you would think they would have another place kicker in, right? Yeah, I mean, I know that, like I, I said before, Danny Smith's been at a couple of those pro days that had some top kickers and BT Potter and Clemson and the Georgia uh, kicker as well. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be the veteran competition the way that it seems to be with Harvin and man, it may be a lower level guy, but uh, I'm sure they'll bring in a second kicker just to, again, preserve Boz during the summer. Right. And I think after all this uh, roster, uh, you know, and, and in fact, I don't think the Steelers have even made, made the uh tanner muse signing official yet right and neither and and the same goes with uh uh the claiming of man off waivers right so once that happens i think we will be at 70 players under contract on the 90 man roster 
And okay. that would leave 20 spots and obviously a good seven of those probably going to be draft picks. We'll see how many more, you know, 10 to whatever uh, undrafted guys. So for the most part, free agency is over with probably at this point right now, especially with Bud Dupree signing with the Falcons. Now, look, there are, there are a couple of other, you know, edge guys out there. Ben Banagoo still out there, is he not? I believe so. I remember he was on my list way back when, former uh, high pick of the Colts. And Yannick Nguakwe, uh, I think, is still unemployed at this time there. So there's two names that uh, you get further into the offseason. Now, Nguakwe has obviously the more impressive uh, uh, resume than Ben Ben Banigou does. But those are two guys that I think the Steelers have, you know, during pre-draft processes several years ago, had some interest in uh, in Guacway. I think kind of the book on him is more more pass rusher than he is mm-hmm. run, run defender at this point. And Banigou just really hasn't, you know, really done much of anything to this date. You know, uh, overall, I think I don't think he's had a lot of playing time period since he's come into the league there. But uh, for the most part, it, it it does kind of feel like. And, and as you would expect with the draft now, right around the corner here, that 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 free agency is pretty much over with. There, uh, a lot of guys they'll probably wait and see until after the draft. On, I mean, Miles Boykin, uh, Benny Snell are two guys that would be interesting to see what happens to, uh, uh, you know, these final couple of weeks before the draft, and then kind of immediately afterwards as well too. So, uh, roster at seventy right now. But do you feel like this has been, was my statement hyperbolic in saying this has been the most consistently busy Steelers offseason that I can remember in, in recent memory? I think as far as continual kind of like, you know, uh, additions like this, I mean, right. they're still low, you know, they're still minimal salary guys overall, basically. And when you talk about Muse and and Watts and who else has come recently? Fahoko, you know, uh, probably just the fact that it's kind of spread out maybe a little bit more has made it made it that way. And, you know, um, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of rare, I guess, that you see the Steelers claim somebody off waivers at, you know, two weeks ahead of, uh, the draft happening. I have to go back and check that and all. And then obviously it was a little bit of a surprise or a lot of surprise with Jameer Jones going out the door and still don't know the real reason behind that. But uh, it would lead you to believe that it was, you know, maybe something off the field or him just wanting out or whatever there. But yeah, I mean, look, overall, it's just not mock drafts every day, you know, that we're talking about. And thank God for that. But I mean, I just just the fact that this team has participated in every wave of agency from, you know, basically wave one with some bigger contracts that, you know, we didn't necessarily expect. And and Isaac say Malu and, you know, Patrick Peterson getting a decent deal for where he's he's at in his career to just, you know, the whole way through from from those guys to more tier two types of, let's say, an Alandon Roberts and maybe even a. Uh, Keanu Neal to some extent, um, and then to the 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 final wave of the the one year guys and Watts and Fahoko and you know man coming in. It just you know you've seen Pittsburgh be active at every single stage, which I'm not sure has happened to this degree before. Uh, real quick, we were talking about the Armand Watts contract the other day and waiting for the numbers to come in on that. That came in over the weekend. There, uh, we you know, we knew it was going to be a veteran benefit contract. The real question was was 
what, what, what was the signing bonus in this? And it ended up being the max of a veteran benefit contract, which is 152,500, uh, in that. So that, that, that gives them a little bit of a tie, you know, obviously if you had to part ways with him, uh, you know, after training camp or, or, or whatnot, it's not going to kill you to have 152,500 in dead money, but it is, it is one of the strongest ties that a guy can get tied to if he's signing a one-year veteran benefit contract within that. It's the only portion of the contract that's guaranteed there with him overall. And obviously it comes with a little bit of a decrease of a salary cap charge there because you're dealing with a, a two uh, 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 the technically the, the, the cap charge of the base salary is a two-year credited player as opposed to a four. And then you add in the signing bonus on top of that obviously goes against the cap as well too. So a little shy of $1.1 million cap charge on, on, on Armand Watts. That's something we weren't, uh, we were waiting on getting data wise heading into the weekend there. Yeah. Good to get that number. And I just believe off the tape, off the resume, I said this even, you know, after going through the tape on Watts before we knew all the, details of the contract. I think Watts has a better chance to make this roster as of right now than Pahoko. Um I think if you're trying to round out, round out the back end of this this defense alignment room, let's say they keep six. I think that Watts will be one of those guys. Pahoko, even one Travis Adams, I think a little on shaky ground right now. Um well, I mean, and they all have to earn their spot. Obviously none of these guys are written in pen, but if you're making the answer who I think will make it right now, I think Watts is one guy that has an inside track. Yeah, I would agree with that, especially based on what we what we've seen just last year alone on his tape with the Bears uh, there. So mm-hmm. uh, there will be some uh, roster, you know, shuffling. I think in that defensive line room, come come, you know, barring these guys all stay healthy and all like that. When it comes to the uh, initial fifty three man roster, there there will be a couple of guys on there that 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 obviously weren't on on the, on the 53 last year and a couple that maybe were, won't be. And the question is, will a, what draft pick and and who and where will be part of this roster come training camp? And if Peter King is to be listened to in his Monday morning column, football morning in America, he believes Pittsburgh could be serious players for Georgia defensive tackle Jalen Carter. If he falls basically a, first of all, saying that he believes Carter is a perfect fit for Pittsburgh and Mike Tomlin, and then just saying a he said the the quote best rumor of the week, whatever whatever exactly that means in terms of what he heard or where things are coming from. That if Carter were to fall to number nine, Pittsburgh would try to trade up for Jalen Carter. So is this just peak, you know, draft season nonsense, Dave, or do you think this rumor, however it comes from, has some teeth to it? Look, I've talked about Peter King several times over the years. I grew up reading Peter King in in, in, in Sports Illustrated, you know, uh, and he's obviously been around around the league and has a lot of ties and all like that. Now, uh, you know, I, I got turned off. I, I've been more turned off by Peter King the older I've gotten, especially when it comes to uh, anytime he opens up his mouth about Hall of Fame voting <laughs> uh, overall, you know. Right. But, I mean, he's a connected guy, right? So, uh, you know, how, how, if he's hearing something, then, then I take him at his word that he's not putting it out there for clicks, you know, uh, so to speak there, but, uh, uh, is, I, I don't know what to think of it overall, other than to say that Carter is a very talented guy off the field. 
if if it were not for this stuff that has happened since the national championship game with the legal concerns, and then you know obviously the rest of the pre-draft process from his pro day and, and, and on, and, you know, obviously you could bring into the discussion, the stuff about drew Rosenhaus and saying that he's not going to let Carter or Carter, what going to take uh top 30 visits for any teams outside, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I know, uh, 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 Rosenhaus has done some interviews since, since then and kind of saying, look, you know, c- kind of dispelling, uh, or, or given the reasons why, you know, that kind of stuff. And, and obviously knowing that teams could trade up into the, into the top 10 to come get his client, that kind of stuff. Once again, I, I think it goes down to the tapes there. You have to wonder about, about the, about the character of the player. Sure. There's a risk there. Obviously the talent is monumental and, you know, he's a guy that, whenever he's on his game has a level of dominance that, you know, maybe no other player in this class possesses, but are you going to assume that risk just in general? And then of course, factor in the cost of a trade-up, which would be a pretty heavy move up to go from 17 to nine. It's going to cost you at least one, probably both your second round picks or, you know, future picks. And so to, to kind of put your eggs in that basket is a big risk. Um, is King true? I mean, who the heck knows? I kind of take this stuff with a grain of salt this time of year. Whatever it's worth, I remember, I don't know, probably about two weeks ago when this Carter story came out about him basically declining any visits with teams picking outside the top 10. And I remember Rosenhaus at the time saying something to the effect of, hey, we we called all the teams outside the top 10 and said, are you even considering trading up for Jalen Carter? And they all said no. And so that's why we declined uh, the visits there because we felt like there was no team that was going to come up to get him outside the top 10. And I feel pretty comfortable. This is Rosenau speaking. I feel comfortable that Carter will go inside the top 10. King throughout that article consistently linked Carter at number five with Seattle. So, you know, will it happen? Is this a true rumor? You know, you can't discount anything. But I take all these things with a grain of salt. And my belief is, and maybe I'll be old takes exposed on this come, you know, April 27th. I don't think Jalen Carter is going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. Yeah, I, I would be surprised as well, too. And look, this 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 all centers around the number nine spot in the Bears. Right. So, I mean, that 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 first you'd have to assume or, or, or think that there's a chance that Jalen Carter makes it to nine. Uh, and then. If he did, what would it cost the Steelers to go up from 17 to nine? I mean, eight, eight spots is a pretty healthy, healthy jump, you know? So, uh, and then do the Steelers like, you know, are they comfortable enough with Carter to, 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 to do something like that? So there's, there are a lot of layers to this. And once again, you know, we're asked several times during the off season trade spec, you know, will they do that? We, I don't know. Uh, I, my, my gut all along, even after the off the field issues, uh, surfaced with, uh, with, with, with Jalen Carter was, I, I, I just couldn't see him being a Pittsburgh Steeler. So you know, stranger things have happened. If he didn't make it to nine, especially with that being the, the Bears and, you know, uh, obviously the recent history with, with, with con trading with polls and all like that, it, it would make for an interesting scenario. But my, my gut would say that Jalen Carter won't be a Pittsburgh Steeler. We'll see. 
Sure. I mean, with with how quarterback heavy this class is, you know, guys like Carter could get pushed down a bit if, say, that, you know, four of the top five picks end up being quarterbacks. It's going to push down, obviously, the the non-quarterbacks. So could he get to nine? I mean, it's possible, but, you know, I think he's going to be a top 10 guy. I don't know if Pittsburgh's going to because it's going to you're going to at least have to trade 32, you know, trade value charts, depending on what you want to use and how much you care about those things. I would say you have to probably trade 49 as well to go up from 17 to nine. So, you know, that that's a heavy trade there with a lot of other needs to address. I know that there's the mentality of a, if, if that's your guy, that's your guy. But you really want Jalen Carter to be your guy. I look, uh, you know, once again, I, I, I won't fault the team for having conviction, you know. Sure. If you have conviction, you have conviction. If that's that's the guy that you want, then you know obviously it'll be analyzed through. Well, once he is your guy, but I mean, if you have conviction that that's the guy that you want to go get, he look his, his he, he's dominant on the field, or, or you know has been. So uh, it's a shame that he got caught up all in that other other stuff off the field there. That that's really because like, if we weren't talking about that off the field stuff, I mean, he'd be a slam dunk. You would think off the board by nine, right? Yeah, we wouldn't even be talking about Carter to Pittsburgh because we'd be talking about is he going to be the number three pick or number five pick, you know, something like that wouldn't even be in consideration to, you know, near the the 10th pick and maybe the ninth pick. So, I mean, again, Pittsburgh, you know, I, I know that things could be a bit different under Con and and uh, Andy Weidler, but I don't think they're going to be too terribly different from a character standpoint. I mean, Pittsburgh, especially first round, when was the last time they took a first round pick who had any character concerns like at all? I mean, you really can't think of a name. So that would be pretty atypical of what Pittsburgh right. does in the draft in general, especially at the top as the face of their class. I mean, just recent names here and Kenny Pickett and Najee Harris and TJ Watt. I mean, just the, the squeakiest clean players you can think of. Right. I would agree. And and look, when you get into these later stages like that, that's one thing that I spend a lot of my time doing, going back and looking at interviews with these kids, you know, uh, and, and, and see if I could picture them being handed that 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 number one jersey in that press conference. And because there's a lot, obviously, a lot of press conferences that come with that as well, too. Right. You know, mm-hmm. oh, yeah. and uh, I, I, I know several times over the years I, I, I've, I've said to myself, oh, man, why didn't I see that? You know, that, that guy's a perfect, you know, as far from a character and the way he handles the media and and. You know, it makes sense that 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 he's the, their first round pick from from things off, from, you know, not related to on the field type stuff. Hearts and smarts is how right. Pittsburgh drafts in the first round. And the two questions on Jalen Hearts is is the hearts and the smarts. You making good decisions off the field and just in general. And you know, some on the field questions about taking some plays off, conditioning, just being consistent. Obviously, again, at his best. I mean, Carter is is a dominant dude, but you know, you've seen these guys flame out before, so it's a little. It's a little day one Jones like um, on the defensive side of the football. I mean, Carter, I think, you know, his ceiling, his, his best plays are maybe a bit higher than Jones, but it's a little bit of that that, that same situation. Look, I mean, Carter's once again, if we're, we're, we're going to put up tape to tape and potential to get on field uh, on the field right away and that kind of I mean, Carter's, you know, much easier separation, I, I think, than than it comes to day one Jones, you know, uh, in other words, I mean, you 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 could see him you know, getting on the field right away and making a huge impact at that, whatever team he lands with. Yeah, I could see that with Jones, too. I mean, they they have mechanisms to do that. I mean, he could be the right tackle or core four, could go to left tackle. I mentioned that right tackle is a bit messier in terms of moving guys around, but 
I mean, you could you could start Jones day one without much issue. I, I imagine that's going to be a, a, a topic. A lot of people, I mean, you had it up late last night and it's already what a hundred comments or so, or getting close to that on, on, on the site there. I'm sure that will dominate uh, a lot of the talk early in the week here uh, from what Peter King wrote. Yep. One last rumor on surprise names in the first round. This comes from Friday. And again, some of this can be the silly season of the draft, but we'll, we'll pass it along here. Uh, Aaron Wilson had tweeted and just kind of casually in a comment about Miami, Florida corner Tyreek Stevenson about Pittsburgh and called him a viable option to Pittsburgh at 17. Now, Stevenson's been a name that came in for a visit, been on, on our radar for a while. Dude is, a, you know, in my mind, a day two pick. But Aaron Wilson just mentioned, didn't really provide any detail behind it, just in a tweet, but said a viable option at 17. Do you buy that, Dave? It feels rich. It feels really, 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 really rich. It really does. Now, Ike Taylor was uh, uh, down at that pro day and uh, I believe put him through the paces there in the DB drills. And Ike Taylor talked about him on his own podcast. And But I, I, I think even to hear uh, Ike Taylor talk, it, 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 uh, I believe the fact that maybe Tyreek Stevenson goes early than what maybe a lot of people think he will. But I. I 17 feels real, real rich when it comes to him. It does. I mean, 32, I think, seems more realistic. I thought maybe he'd be a 49 type of guy. This cornerback class is just so deep and so heavy. If it wasn't as strong, then maybe some of these corners go up some. But, I mean, I feel like every cornerback's trying to be connected in the first round. And at some point, some of these guys are going to fall. You can't have, you know, a dozen cornerbacks go in the top 32. It's just not going to happen. So some of these guys will slip a bit. Um, Stevenson is a good scheme fit though. He loves man coverage. He was a man uh, coverage corner. He literally has said he models his game after Patrick Peterson. He's physical. He's aggressive by Taylor calling him a dog. So, I mean, he checks those boxes, but at 17, that just feels uh, a bit too high knowing the other corners that are, are likely or expected or possibly will be there. And I think you have Jason Lock and Fora and, uh, uh, Tony, uh, Pauline, both really thinking the Steelers really love uh, Deontay Banks out of Maryland. Sure. Another name in connection at 17. And that's a guy that seems to be, you know, the quote unquote riser in the sense of the media catching up to where he's, you know, likely to go. And Banks seems to be, a, you know, fairly strong bet to be a solid, a first round pick. And so that's a guy to consider at 17. If we're not talking about a Joey Porter jr. Would that be another asterisk situation? Uh, if, if, if Banks was the guy at 17, I mean, how, how many asterisks do we have to have, have the potential of handing out here? Uh, if they wind up being the pick at 17 because of, you know, Tomlin and Khan not at their pro day, however, it would be, they would be, however, commas <laughs> and not, not asterisks. Cause I mean, you even had an article up this morning about uh, the short list of, you know, Steelers candidates, you know, related to the, the blues clues as we'd like to have it here. So, you know, if Deontay banks, because of his kind of, you know, Mike Tomlin knows the kid friend of Dino's and, and yada, yada was, was there really a reason to go see that uh, uh, see his pro day, when you know the kid inside out, you ended up uh, what bringing him in, right? For 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 a pre-draft visit, uh, and you know, in other words, uh, you know, how how many situations do we have here? And then the Jalen Carter thing would be, oh well, however, comma he wasn't taking visits to 
to teams outside of the you know uh, uh, top ten, right? It just seems like we have we have more of those this time around that 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 don't necessarily fit the Blues' clues. You know, every box check, but mm-hmm. you could come up with your own reasons why they did not check that certain box. Yeah, I mean. There are some of those this year because there, there are some of the, the differences when you have Andy Weil, a, a first-time assistant GM, and, and how do you categorize him? I think with Carter, there wouldn't need to be an asterisk because they were at that pro day, Tomlin and Khan. So that checks that you know just fine with Banks. I You, you could put an asterisk there. Uh, I, I don't know if I would just because there was simply there was no one in attend- attendance that day. Now, you could argue... Banks did not do anything at his pro day. He didn't work out. He didn't go through testing. So, you know, why go there if you could just bring him in for a visit? So you could try to, you know, talk about it that way. We'll just have to wait and see who the pick is and, and take it from there. I mean, I like Banks, uh, and you, I'm sure you do as well, Banks' chances of, of being the guy at 17 a lot more than I do Tyreek Stevenson. Yeah, I probably do. But at this point, I mean, I really don't know how it's going to go. I think this is as tough a first round pick to project in terms of position and player as it has been in, I don't know, since since what? I mean, look, it's real murky still in my head uh, because, A, you don't know, you know, you're 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 in that middle ground territory of the middle of the first round there. Who's who's going to be on the board? Will, Will Joey Porter Jr. still be on the board? You know? Will Deontay Banks, you know, what, what is, what's his range been, you know, as of late? Yeah, I mean, I've kind of seen it in that early 20s range is kind of the, the number-ish on Banks. So, you know, you would expect him to be there, but the draft could be full of surprises. Right. And with Porter, it's a coin flip. Right. And uh, you found some very interesting news over the weekend uh, related to another pro day. Yeah, uh, I know the pro days have been done for over two weeks now, but we're always kind of getting some last second information. So a hat tip to a Twitter follower who had made mention of this, said that Andy Weidel was at Tennessee. And then that made me go hunting for a photo to try to confirm that. And lo and behold, after a couple of videos on on local Tennessee news stations, Mm. I found Andy Weidel, who was at that pro day. So we know Pat Meyer was there. We've known that for a while. And now Weidel was there too. Now that was, I believe, just as the league meetings were ending when Tomlin and Khan were stuck in Arizona. And it seemed like that week Wida was kind of, you know, acting in place of, of, of Tomlin and Khan because he was at that Penn State Pro Day, now at Tennessee. So, you know, I know that Widel technically is not going to be a decision maker. That's Tomlin, Khan, and Art Rooney the second. But, you know, for Widel to be there and then of course for Meyer to be there is uh certainly notable. It certainly is. And then uh, also they, uh, the wide receiver, Cedric Tillman, they ended up having him in for a pre-draft visit. And he was the other kind of more notable Tennessee player uh, at that pro day. Yeah, Tennessee had a couple of good prospects with Tillman. And, uh, you know, of course, Hendon Hooker was not going right. to be a, a pick for Pittsburgh. But, you know, he was there. And Jalen Hyatt's going to be probably the first Tennessee wide receiver drafted. There's the linebacker, Jeremy Banks, who has the off-field concerns, but, but a good player from an on-field standpoint. What's interesting about Darnell Wright is, to my knowledge, no pre-draft visit with him. And I thought because Tomlin Cotton couldn't be at that pro day, that would be a guy that would make sense to come into the facility. And I know that we don't know for a fact if Wright was or was not brought in. But we, if we, if, if the schedule names that were reported to come in for Pittsburgh all came in, we know the thirty. Like we know the thirty names who came in, and so Darnell Wright is not on that list. And so I have to assume. 
that he did not come in for a pre-draft visit. Maybe they think he's going to be off the board, you know, but uh, even so, I mean, that's not keeping them from bringing some of these other guys in. Right. Uh, the only, you know, rationale you could have is he was at the senior bowl. He was at the combines. Maybe they felt like they knew all they needed to know about Darnell Wright at those two events. And correct me if I'm wrong. The only really, I, I guess it depends on what you think. I think we had this conversation the other day about Cody mock. You know, do you consider Cody mock a tackle or do you just you know consider him an interior guy uh, outside of that? It, it looks like, and, and Daywan Jones, we don't even know he was, he was one of those scheduled guys that they, not bring him in after the, did they decide after the pro day not to bring him in? Did he mm-hmm. come in right after that? Uh, and, and before it could get, you know, anybody could see him and it get reported, you know, and once again, if you don't consider Cody mock, a true tackle, a legitimate tackle candidate, then these, the, then the Steelers have been really only been linked to two tackles in total with only one of them coming in in, 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 in Anton Harrison. Yeah, that's a good point. There's not been a lot of interest there from a pre-draft visit standpoint, which is usually one of our clues to to the positions Pittsburgh's looking at, you know, the the most uh, closely, and that's defensive line and cornerback based off the visits this year, a bit of receiver in the in, in the mid rounds as well. So, does this reinforce your thought of maybe this team is going to take a tackle later than what people are expecting? Man, I've 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 had myself wondering if they're even going to take a tackle at all as of late, you know. Yeah, be, I mean, I think it'd be crazy to do, but right, you know, it's one of those things to think about. And then what's going to happen at, at center with the interest in the interior offensive lineman, and for whatever it's worth, and again, take things with grains of salt. But according to Jerry Dulac, team's happy with Mason Cole, and I think that's the right strategy. I'm not trying to replace the guy in this draft. Eventually, you know, you will. He will not be the next great Pittsburgh Steelers center, but not a guy I have to upgrade this year. So, you know, I I don't know what to make of that. If they did not take a tackle in the first round, who, who do you see as the most likely and they did take one after that? Who, who, who would be the most likely one that you would have circled right now? So even at 32 could be right. an answer. Even at 32 or, or wherever. Man, it's a tough question. I mean, you'd have to kind of turn to Anton Harrison because mm-hmm. he was in for the visit and he's, you know, I think he's, he was a left tackle and is a left tackle. I and think that fits a, a right. bit easier. Yeah, he'll play a little bit of right, but I think a bit more, more natural at left tackle, a little less shifting of the, of the musical chairs than a, a right tackle kind of guy. So you know, I know he doesn't have the elite size that some of the other guys Pittsburgh's looked at, like right, like Day One Jones have. But you know, if not him, then I'm not sure what other name. Now, look, anything can happen in these next, you know, week and whatever uh, here. But I mean, here we is that the most vulnerable, uh, you know, uh, p- uh, position group from from a depth chart uh, perspective overall that this team has right now. I mean, it, 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 it's Chiquama core for it's Dan Moore jr. And it's LaRaven Clark still after all this time. Yeah. I think depth there is really shaky. I mean, yeah, you know, Clark a veteran, but I don't want him to be the number three. I don't want LaRaven Clark to be one snap away from, you know, seeing serious action. That's going to be problems for this entire offense problems for Kenny Pickett. So yeah, I think it's a big, big area that, that needs to be addressed. And and with them only technically having, once again, it depends on what you think mock is or or, or not. But they only have, they only really been linked. And, and go ahead and 
link them to 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 Darnell Wright, you know, uh, for obvious reasons there, because with 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 Weidel at the pro day and and obviously Meyer being there and all like that. I mean, you're you're technically only linked to them as far as the pro. You know, there have been at other pro days, at least it'd be nice to if, if Pat Meyer would send us his schedule where he went. But we have a good uh, idea. We got him five yeah. places. I feel like we kind of know where okay. he was at this year. All right. So, uh, you know, once again, I, I just find it weird. I, I going back, I would have thought there had been more tackles on the pre-draft visit list. Plain and simple. Let's just boil it down that way. Sure. I agree. But again, just just the last thought on, on that is, did Pat Meyer really go to five pro days this year for this team to not draft an offensive lineman and not draft one early? Like, is he really going to put all the time in for this team to take a, a seventh round guard or tackle? I, I can't buy that. Right. I, I would agree. There's going to be an offensive lineman within the first three picks, it, it feels like. So is it a tackle or is it a guard? Is it a center? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> uh, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. And that's the, the biggest thing I'm wrestling with here as I get ready for my, my final mock draft that will come out uh, sometime next week. So that is uh, an update, though, on Darnell Wright and uh, Andy Weidel. Speaking of first-round picks, I had an article that go up today, one I've been planning on writing for a while, uh, entitled The Short List of Steelers 2023 First-Round Candidates If the Blues Clues Hold True. And so this is basically just following Tomlin and Khan and I suppose technically Andy Weidel as well, and saying that one of the Steelers, whoever the Steelers' first-round pick is, will be at one of those pro days. And so I whittled the list down, you know, went broad first with 17 names to to basically a list of 10. I'll read off a list of 10 that make the most amount of sense to me. Again, just in terms of the Blues clues and the history. So Clemson defensive lineman Brian Brzee, Georgia offensive tackle Broderick Jones, Michigan defensive tackle Mazzy Smith, Iowa Edge, Lucas Van Ness, Iowa State Edge, Will McDonald, Ohio State, offensive tackles, Paris Johnson and Daywan Jones, Alabama DB, Brian Branch, Penn State corner, Joey Porter Jr., and Tennessee offensive tackle, Darnell Wright. Now, some of those names are more likely than others. You can rank them however you want. If you don't want to consider McDonald or Van Ness or Smith or whoever, that's fine, but just trying to be a bit broad um, while you know focusing on those, those historical trends. So, you know, if, if you're following it to the letter based on the history, and that does not guarantee the future uh, pick, but if you're following that, it's going to be one of those 10 names. Right. And notable names left off of there would would include uh, Banks, right? Be- because of no pro day and right uh, that kind of stuff. I mean, you could obviously add to this list of thinking, well, you know, if we didn't, use the blues clues at the pro day aspect with, with, with Tomlin and Khan. Uh, well, once again, I mean, you don't have Joey. I mean, Joey Porter Jr. is on there. Yes, because Andy Weidel was there technically a GM. And, and so that's kind of where I'm getting the technical aspect to it. I wonder, and I've gone back already a couple of times too, since the actual pro day happened, not, not in the last seven days or so like that. We need to go back to some of that Maryland coverage see if maybe we can find Weidel there yeah it's a good point uh I know that they had was there any was Weidel I don't think Weidel was spotted anywhere that day was he probably not we've only seen him at two places Penn State and now unless Tennessee's and Maryland's pro day was the same day which I don't know if it was but I don't I don't think it was okay 
Uh, I, I again, I, he they may not have been there because Banks was not doing anything. He did not work out. He he sat out his pro day. Um, and so I could understand them not really sending a big name guy to watch him do nothing. Okay. Fair and then I just decided to bring him in for a visit. So again, I, I, as I write in the article, the Blues clues could be broken, and that's where you enter Deontay Banks and enter. And that's one thing we wondered going into this. Well, with obviously with 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 uh, Khan and you know, kind of the new reg- regime, so to speak, or a new you know, possibly a new way of doing business. Obviously, Khan's not new to the franchise, but we were wondering what we would learn through this first run through, if there's anything winds up being different yeah we're setting this stuff up now so whenever the pick comes in we can analyze it and say do these do these historical benchmarks hold true if so then great if not then we'll adjust and see what maybe the new things are maybe that the first round pick only has to come in for a visit now if it is at Deontay Banks then maybe we shift to that I mean you know we'll just have to wait and see but using the old model because Mike Tomlin still here Art Rooney the second still here those are two-thirds of the decision makers um, wanted to put that out there to, to to analyze it now and look back at it later. All right, uh, we 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 said on the Friday show, I believe that we we're going to circle back and talk a little bit more about Keon White out of Georgia Tech. Yeah, I know you've watched him some. Uh, said so I was in that conversation of Van Ness and then White getting the draft invitation, which suggests he's going to be you know a good bet to go in the first round. So, what are your thoughts on Keon White, Dave? Uh, I tell you, you got a guy here that mostly where we talked about Van Ness playing a lot uh, uh, inside, you know, in, in 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 you know over the B gap kind of specifically. You got a guy in Keon White that that played more outside the tackle <laughs> uh, uh, in there. And you go back and you just look at uh, two, the amount of snaps that he had uh, total from uh, regular and postseason from the last four seasons. And obviously there was a transfer year in there from in, in, in 2020 where he didn't play uh, in, in totality in those three seasons, he played just, almost 1300 snaps total there and 977 of those were out where were him lined up outside the tackle. Now he does have he's, he's you know, when you talk about the stuff of him being either uh, right over the tackle or in the B gap there, I mean, he's got a, a total of, I don't know, 250, 260 snaps. And he's got some, some nice, some nice snaps in there, obviously, but you predominantly, he was an edge guy, you know, a lot of hand in the dirt kind of stuff. Uh, some standing up pass to me, some of his better tape might even be more inside to be honest with you. I mean, he's, he, he seems very limited overall in his past pass rush repertoire. He's got it. He's, he, he's another long arm guy that's got uh, that, that can use his arms. Well, just not overly from what I've seen, overly versed in his pass rush plan or his, 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 his volume of moves overall uh, athletic for his size. I mean, look, he's a guy, I think that, you know, I forget what he came in at 280 something. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you could, if you knew that you could project and and bulk him up and him, he, now he looks like he's a guy that could hold the weight a lot better than a Van Ness could. Right. Like a, he could get there and B he could hold it a lot better and probably not impact, impact them that, that, that much overall. If you could project that, Hey, we can get him to this weight 
he can hold it and we want him to be, you know, uh, you know, a five tech on in, you know, that kind of guy. But once again, I, I, that would make to me the most sense when it, when it comes to linking them to the Steelers specifically there, but there, there, once again, you go back to a lot of projection on this guy because he didn't, did not play that much either a over the tackle or, 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 or in the B gap or even further inside. How do you compare him and contrast him with DeMarvin Leal? What differences do you see? What similarities do you see? Um, a guy that I, I tell you flat, first and foremost, he, he it's it's easier to project him as a bigger kind of defensive tack, you know, kind of how Cam Hayward is used now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easier to you can see him from a body type aspect only fitting that mold a lot easier than Leal. Okay. But you said from a pass rush plan standpoint, he's still kind of working on things. Yeah, especially when he's used out on the edge, uh, where he was predominantly, predominantly, predominantly used at Georgia Tech. There. Okay, that sounds like Leal to, to some extent, but yeah, I think the frame, the body type's a bit different. Um, that kind of supports White being able to play more of that true, you know, four eye three tech than what Leal's frame seems to support. Now, look, there, there's going to probably be some teams that see him as a as a four, three in. Right. But sure. there, there, there might be some teams that, that, that see him being able to play more inside there. It just, there's a lot there like Van Ness. There's a lot of projection with this dude, I think. And he's older yeah. too. Is he? Yeah. yeah I guess. Cause he was like the old dominion transfer, like five years in college. Right. Right. He's, uh, was born in January 20th, 99. So he's already 24 years old, I think. Yeah, and it's really a one-year production guy, at least at Georgia Tech, right? I mean, he just you know had that one kind of big year. Yeah, so I mean, uh, why did they why did they bring him in? I I think just wanted to get to know more about him. I mean, obviously they're not going to draft everybody off their pre-draft visitor list, and some of them are kind of look-aheads, you know, kind kind of situation here, and maybe with him being really kind of coming on the scene last year overall maybe they didn't know a lot about him wanted to get to know him more that's the only reason i can kind of think that uh uh this was a guy that they brought in that this like van i struggle with both him keon white and van ness at seeing either one of those guys being the steeders pick at 17 what about 32 if white were to slip into day two it feels it that that still feels a little bit i mean i if you if you if if you could tell me what their plan w- was with him right now, <laughs> it, mm-hmm. it, uh, it would make it a lot easier there, uh, because I mean I, he's got tape. It once again he's got tape off the edge outside the tackle. He's got tape uh, over the tackle that's good, and he's got tape in in, in, in the B gap that's good. It's just there's not a lot o- of it in totality. And you'd have to tell me with him kind of being that 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 kind of tweener situation there at six five two eighty five, what what's your vision for him? You know, yeah, I think it would be to to, to bulk up a little bit because he wouldn't have to add a lot of weight. You know, ten to fifteen pounds is all he's going to have to put on, and he's going to be a defensive lineman that has a, a frame similar to the ideal frame. You know, ideally six five three hundred thirty four inch arms is like the prototype right. 
type of dude. And so I think just the scarcity of that is intriguing. Right. The body type from a scare. Yeah, you're right. The the body type from, from a scarcity standpoint is what the Steelers like. Uh, the thing is, is you're just not allowed to tape to back it up. Right. Well, you got to make some compromises and say, you know, either because usually you're picking something, either the guy has the snaps, but not the frame or the guy has the frame, but not the snaps. Mm-hmm. And so you're trying to, you know, look at both. I mean, this guy should be at least a top 40 pick. No worse than that. If he's getting the invite to the draft, a odds are he'll be a first round pick and, and B occasionally like there's usually one or two guys that become day two picks and they go usually within the top five, 10 selections on Friday night. And so, you know, if he's going to be a, in consideration for Pittsburgh, I agree. 17 just feels way too high and be at 32. He's probably going to be like a late first round pick that goes, I don't know, 27th, 28th overall. I mean, if there's a guy though, and really Van Ness as well too. I mean, if there are two guys that, that, that are projected and have been projected for a good portion of the off season of being slam dunk first rounders, especially maybe top half first round of uh, uh, slam dunk guys. If there's two guys that you could, potentially see maybe fall out of the first round. I, I I would maybe circle one of those two guys, if not both of them. Okay. Uh, but but was, all it takes is one, one team that, that loves them, right? Sure. I mean, I think Van Ness will be, he may not make it to Pittsburgh. So I think that seems to be the conventional wisdom right now. One name that I got a little bit of pushback on for not including in that final list of uh, 10 names I rattled off in the first round candidate list was Miles Murphy, the edge from Clemson. Now he's been, you know, hurt by a, an injury in this pre-jet process could not work out at the combine or as pro day had a private workout in early April. You know, that's a name that could be talked about as well. If you want to think about potential, you know, edge prospects. Yeah, I would, I would be surprised if we're talking about an edge for the Steelers at 17 overall. Yeah. Unless, unless so. Will Anderson tumbles or something like that, you know? Right. So just want to mention that. I think it's, it's a fair critique. I just, my gut says, and again, that's my own, subjectivity and bias. I just don't see it for uh, Murphy. No, I don't really see it for Van Ness. I guess I can't discount that. That's probably a higher likelihood than a Murphy um, or a Will McDonald, but just what I went with when I try to whittle that, that, that list down. I feel you. I think it'll be somebody off that uh, list that, you know, uh, that, that you, that you whittled down there or a bank with banks. Yeah. With, with banks added to it. Yeah. And again, that's just a list of the old Blues Clues. I just, you know, had the, the, the quip in there. What if they go off to college like Steve from Blues Clues, which I don't know if it's a reference that you understand, but a reference uh, that, I, that I understand. The uh, Steve from Blues Clues did the show and then he wanted to exit the show. And so the way that they made it, I guess, kind of canon for the show was Steve was going off to college and Joe okay. would take over Blues Clues because Steve actually was uh, losing his hair and didn't want to do the show anymore. And so that's that's the real story there. Steve Burns. Great, great American hero of children's uh, television. All right. Uh, what else do we have here, Dave? I think that's kind of uh, the bulk of our conversation today. So anything else you want to talk about? Uh, did we miss anything in here? Did we hit all the I feel like points? we are, but I don't think we are actually. Uh, well, just uh, we had the interview, obviously, with Dick LeBeau Friday. But I, I one comment that I actually kind of missed when he, he was saying it in our conversation and then people reacted to it after the fact was LeBeau saying that they had Philip Rivers as their top quarterback in that 04 class that of course famously had Eli Manning, Ben and Philip Rivers and LeBeau telling the story of he was in Ben's camp, but you know, broadly speaking, the front office was all, you know, team rivers. If he was going to fall to number 11. Yeah. Uh, that was, and I think that's got some people up in arms, right? 
Yeah, I think so. But I mean, you know, Rivers was a, a great prospect back then. And Ben was a bit more of the unknown, smaller school, you know, raw, raw type of guy. Didn't have as much experience, I guess. And so that was kind of the, the pushback on Ben. If you, if you have to think back all the way back to 04 before Ben was was truly Ben. Right. And then there was the whole conversation when it got to 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 Ben and and uh, who was the uh, uh, the tackle? They were thinking Sean, Sean Andrews. Yeah, yeah, Sean Andrews and and Rooney saying, just go ahead and take the quarterback. You know, that that kind of aspect of it. So it, uh, it was interesting to hear that come out of uh, LeBeau's mouth, though. Yeah, it was. And I, yeah, I've been going back to old draft, just listening through and. You know, I'm sorry, it had me thinking about day one Jones a little bit in terms of like who is his NFL comp. I think people go with Trent Brown quite a bit. It's obviously hard to find names that that fit perfectly with such a rare build with as day one Jones, but that big tackle, how many of those guys have been ultra successful? I was going back to now what year was it? I forget the year, maybe oh one, but Leonard Davis, who kind of played more guard than tackle in the NFL, but that was kind of a similar dude. Andrew's kind of similar, not quite as as large in terms of height, uh, Trey Thomas. So I'm just trying to think back to like day one Jones and what's his ceiling and what his comp could be. But that's a, that's a random thought, but just right. something I thought about as I was going through some old drafts. All right. We got an interesting series coming up here on, on the site these next couple of weeks, right? Yeah. Scott Brown doing kind of a, a questionnaire uh, each day uh, leading up to the draft. They'll drop in the evening around, I believe seven o'clock PM Eastern time. And so today's question, if what was, what's the first question of the day, uh, the two scenarios of which you would rather have, uh, what's the question that Scott's posing here, which hypothetical uh, situation you would prefer for the Steelers taking an offensive tackle and defensive linemen with their first two picks and drafting defensive backs. And he's got parentheses here, cornerback and safety or double dipping at corner. So one of those two options in the third or fourth rounds or taking a cornerback with their first pick, that being the only selection they use to address the secondary. Okay. So I guess we should save our answers so we don't sure. give them away here, but uh, yeah, that that's the question. And so there's going to be, Many that Scott posts, some about this year's draft, about the best receiver uh, versus the value of a nose tackle, and then some historical things like the biggest mistake draft-wise in the Mike Tomlin era and the greatest draft pick of all time, which I feel like is going to have a pretty universal answer uh, across Pittsburgh land. And so what, what's happening here is, is, is Scott has devised all these questions and all, and there'll be about three or four of us chiming in with paragraph answers uh, in in. Uh, attached each each question in the post, right? Right. So you will see the first one later today and uh, many more, uh, one per day leading up to the draft. All right. All right, Dave, let's get through some reader emails and close out today's show. All right. Let me see if I can find what I did with the email machine here. Our Blues Clues. Our, 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 what's the, the mail song? I won't sing it. God bless y'all, but I won't, I won't do that. Um, sing it. Yeah. Now, I, I'm trying to even think of the, the words to it. I forget all the words, honestly. Oh, okay. But, just do that in your head for those that know the show. All right. Let's see here. I found it. Let's sort it here. Jeff Flowers writes in. Jets, great pod last week with Coach LeBeau. LeBeau, it was gold. One question, one comment slash con- question. Contrary to the comments from a former NFL quarterback, you each have a very strong technical understanding of the game. How did you acquire the technical intelligence? Uh 
you know, it's, he said, throws out things. We've said stuff like, I'm not sure he played much in the B gap or three tech. He says, your depth is impressive and curious how you obtained all of it. Look, Jeff, it's just watching and learning, watching and learning. And we've, we, as much as we like to think that we know about technical understanding of scheme and game and all like that, there's, 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 there's still a lot out there to learn. And that's one of the the joys about what we do is that we're constantly trying to learn. We're constantly trying to devour more tape. We're, we're constantly trying to learn more about analytics and, 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 and those kind of things. And I look, it's a lot easier now to know and look at, at, at certain analytic tracking sites, you know, like PFF and stuff like that. Know right off the bat of what you're dealing with and what to look for, at least from an alignment standpoint and where a guy predominantly played versus where he didn't play and then going up and matching up the tape. But I mean, it's, it's, it's you know, strong technical understanding of the game. I there, there are certain points throughout seasons where I wish I had more. <laughs> because you know, things that you're looking at trying to decipher in certain defenses and coverages and it's it's just a product of doing it a lot uh and attempting to to understand the fact that that you don't know what you don't know either and you you just constantly trying to build on that yeah i, I agree with that 100 percent. i mean the benefit is for the last you know, eight years since I, you know, kind of became full time after graduating colleges, this is my job. And so I literally just, this is what I do every single day. And that certainly helps because that's what I can dedicate my time, my energy, my resources to. And so that certainly helps whenever like your job is to go watch the tape and do that over and over and over for, you know, the last decade. So that's probably been one component of it. Uh, by the way, Jalen Hurts getting paid yeah, five years, $255 million. Highest paid player in NFL history. Even some incentives in that deal that can boost the um, overall value, it appears. So Jalen Hurts, the latest quarterback to get paid. I think teams that pay quarterbacks earlier in the offseason are smarter because the longer you wait, the more that price the tag goes running. up. <laughs> yep. So I think teams that get it done, it's a lot of money, but teams that get it done ultimately become, I think, happier with their contract. Uh, going to be interesting. Do we have a full guarantee report we, 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 uh, as, as far as what is fully, it's, fully guaranteed versus what is injury, you know, that kind of stuff? Sure. Yet? I don't believe so. It's 179.3 uh, million in guarantees, but obviously that, that could mean a couple different things. I know trade clause, there's 15 million in incentives. So I don't know the actual true guaranteed money, but the 179.3 in overall guarantees. Uh, Lamar Jackson's going to want to study this thing pretty good, isn't he? That is true. Although it's not the the fully guaranteed version, I don't. I mean, obviously it's not with 179 guaranteed, but yeah, the Jackson saga uh, will continue. All right. Uh, let's see. Number two from Jeff says, thinking back to a commentary on the Bud Dupree deal, are you aware of any research or look back reports at the success rate for the athlete athlete on the one year incentive laden proven deal? Uh, I am curious if there's a benefit in taking the one year with the hope of getting a bigger bite of the apple versus two years with some long term opportunity. I, I, no, I, I we have not. Uh, gone back to see who's been better at, you know, especially across the NFL landscape of who's been better taken. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of circumstances that run into that. I mean, obviously, when you get into a situation that 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 Bud Dupree, I can understand, and it'll be interesting to see 
uh, how it progresses with him and the Falcons and what the Falcons do in the draft and all like that. I can understand as a whole why the Falcons offer uh, was more attractive to a guy like Bud Dupree. For A, it's just a one-year deal, whereas it sounds like the Steelers was was a two-year offer that they wanted to uh, uh, get him to. It also sounds like potentially when it comes to that first year uh, uh, overall, even if he had signed a two-year deal with the Steelers versus a one-year deal, sounds like he has the opportunity to an up-to-money uh, with, with the Falcons that may have been more than the first. And look, what, the, if he had signed a two-year deal with the Steelers, that second year would have been would not have been guaranteed to him. Right. Uh, if he had sucked this year, he would have been right. cut. Right. Uh, which, 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 which would have put him back on the market there. And then also how much, how much playing time is he looking at? Uh, because if he had, if things go the way I think they will go in Pittsburgh, uh, had, had Dupree been part of that, he would have been more of a, uh, uh, the, the, the third guy in type situation there. And there might be some games where he, he, he may have struggled to get 20 snaps or so. Uh, in there. So maybe the opportunity to potentially, and obviously the draft can change that uh, with the Falcons. We'll see. And, and, uh, but it just sounds like overall he would, he's at least from where we sit right now, maybe a potential more playing time with the Falcons and the more playing time that he gets, the more opportunity he might have to succeed and thus maybe parlay that into a bigger deal a year from now. So, you know, it's obviously a combination of money and situation and play time uh, that, 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 that goes into decisions of that, but no, we don't have any hard data here about, you know, was it good for a player to take a look, even if it's a one-year deal versus two-year deals, unless the two-year deal is fully guaranteed, they're all one-year deals, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah, uh, that that's the uh, the secret there. The two-year deal is really just a one-year deal, but the end the, the the team gets the benefit of if you play well, we'll keep you for cheap that second year. If you don't play well, then it's a one-year deal. We're going to cut you, put you on the street. So yeah, I understand totally why Dupree went with Atlanta. They're really building up that defense. They have a lot of pieces there, and so that's probably attractive as well. It is, you know, Pittsburgh would have been coming back home in that in, in one sense, but he's literally from Georgia, so. That makes uh, sense as well. So, you know, I'm not not too crushed about it. I mean, I, I would have understood Dupree coming back. It would have made sense on a couple different levels. But dude's 30. He's been hurt. You know, I'm OK not uh, signing him back. Uh, Garrett Goldberg writes in, hey, guys, love the show and all the draft coverage. When looking at the D-line prospects this year, names like Keanu Benton, Mazzy Smith, Jervon Dexter, Brzee, etc. All come up as possible fits for the Steelers. Do you see a bigger need for an interior zero tech, one tech, three tech, or a more versatile guy who can play inside some, but more of a four or a five tech fit, depending on your answer, who were some of the names, your favorites that would fit uh, what the Steelers need specifically. Uh, thanks for all you guys do. Yeah, and, and, and Alex has kind of uh, uh, gone a little bit deeper into this. Uh it just it kind of feels like what they've added so far when you look at Fahoko and you look at uh, uh, Watts and 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 specifically how they've been used most recently and what it seems that is is there is there uh, upside and where they should be used most. It does feel like more of a further out like three tech to five tech is needed more so than a more interior guy, right? 
Yeah, that's my thought. I mean, obviously, you know, Watts, Fajoko, they're not long-term options. You could, if you wanted to, get that rock in the middle, and, and you can make it work that way. But just based on the tea leaves, you know, Watts, Fajoko, they're, they're, they're base personnel guys. They're zero-techs. They're one-techs. Primarily, Watts offers a bit more versatility, pass rush juice than what Fajoko can. But my read of it, and, and we'll see, but my read of it is, you know, three-tech, four-I, somebody that can play in sub, somebody that can can get after the, uh, the quarterback. Obviously, somebody has to play the run. Um, so in terms of who those names are, they still can be difficult to, to maybe find, but I think more it's more Brzee type. I think it's more, uh, I think Carl Brooks and Bowling Green makes a lot of sense in third, fourth round. Um, somebody like that more so than a Mazzie Smith or a Broderick Martin, a later round guy that's kind of more an interior uh, type plugger. That's how I'm I'm thinking about the D-line position right now. But again, We'll see because they've shown plenty of interest in in a lot of these guys. It feels like, and once again, you, you use that carefully based on what they've done. It, it, it feels like if you're going to spend an early round draft pick on a defensive lineman, it would be a guy that you could get on the field more, uh, at least initially in sub package situations to get after the quarterback. Yeah, and I'm not talking like a DeMarvin Leal thing where it's a tweener, just somebody that has size and bulk, but just can can get after the quarterback more so than, you know, what maybe Omazi Smith's done because his production overall was pretty light. He's kind of a bull rusher, you know, collapse the pocket type dude. So, you know, and again, Dexter's got his issues rushing the passer. Brzee's, you know, production's not there. So there's question marks with a lot of those guys, but I, I just feel like they want somebody that's going to be able to, to give you something on, on third and seven. Uh, LM writes in, are you eliminating Darnell Wright from consideration at 17? No pro day or visit reminds me of Linderbaum last year. A lot of fans wanted him, but you eliminated and, and, and was right. I don't know if we've necessarily, and that look, this was uh, sent in on Saturday, April the 15th. So obviously, uh, uh Alex spotting, uh, Weidel at the pro day yesterday from going mm-hmm. back through some of the tape is, is, uh, came after LM, uh, submitted his question here. So he, here's right. the thing. I don't know if we, I mean, we were, we were eliminating him more from a blues clues aspect more than anything. It, yeah. That's it, what it, the LM is saying. Right. Know? Right. Yeah, right. Again, I'm still a little mixed there because you did have Weidel there, but no, no visit. This guy took like 20 visits in Pittsburgh. That we know, uh, one of those we teams. qualify that. You know. Sure, but again, assuming that all the other the handful of schedule names that were never confirmed did come in, those are 30. It's not like we're not sitting at 29 names saying you know who's that 30th guy. So, and, and Wright's never been reported to come into Pittsburgh. You know, could it have happened? I guess, but it, it just a, a little bit awkward. Um, but he's probably gonna be. I think some of the the recent you know betting odds have him as like a, a mid round first round pick, and so he might be squarely on that radar at seventeen. All right, uh, let's see. Someone named Yahoo writes in, or Tito writes in, with local visits not counting. Why not have guys like Dante Stills, Brenton Strange, or Jordan Addison in, or at least more than Porter and Ford Wheaton? It's one of those things too. We don't know necessarily. Maybe early in the process that they 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 got all the let's say uh, now Penn Penn State is that. Are they? Yeah, they're technically a uh, uh, a local t- a local team. That's why Joey Porter's was was termed a local. Is one. he, or is it because Porter's from hometown, from the area? Yeah, I'm not that's, entirely that's sure. 
didn't uh, I and and I struggle with this because this has changed over the last like three or four years with what is termed local and it does wasn't Penn wasn't Penn State classified as a uh uh Eagles local team? I think I want to say, and I could be wrong. I'm, I'm trying because trying, you're right. The rules have changed a bit, and I, I don't know if it's based off of. It um, used to be geographical mileage right. or something like that, and then they and now I think changed it's it. Yeah, now I think they have te- technically schools that are assigned as local, and obviously Pitt. Pitt would be Pittsburgh, you know, to to, to the Steers in West Virginia. I know is in that. Wasn't Kent State? I want to say it was like West Virginia, Pitt, and then like either Duquesne or Youngstown State, some small school that really doesn't matter okay. a whole lot. But I don't don't quote me on that. But yeah, I think it's hometown based on the geographics of where you grew up. And so that's where I think Porter became local. And I guess there's a mileage on that. I don't know exactly what the numbers are. So I don't think an Addison would have been considered local because he's not from the area. He's from Maryland. And then obviously because he's at USC, he wouldn't qualify for that. But But to the answer of, of why not bring in more local guys? Probably just just a time thing. You know, they're busy people. They can't sit there the entire uh, month of April and and visit with local guys that but they may not have you know super high interest in. So they're just a time management resource thing to consider. Look, this thing, you know, we try to be as all encompassed as we can, and we obviously do this for a living. And but there's so much stuff to try to keep up with, and and things change, and where you place it in 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 in, in your mind as far as priority to recall it uh, changes as well too. So that that's why some of these, uh, that's why it gets a little bit confusing because I I know this change and it this just didn't just change last year i don't think but wasn't no. it like two years ago or with the new cba that they changed what is a local visit what isn't a local visit and then assign schools we'll have to try to find it at some point print it out i guess to uh to be more prepared during the pre-draft process at least to yeah. what we think it is now just hard to i don't know why it's hard to find this i remember seeing this information but now i can't remember right. where on earth i saw it's, this and it's probably on the site somewhere probably but i don't even know i'm trying to think what i have to search to uh to come up with that information so anyway uh steve novakovich writes in what the heck happened oh this is a question for dick lebeau next time he has what the heck happened with james harrison to transform him from a journeyman to a hall of famer yeah that's a Look, uh, Alex and I could have kept uh, Dick LeBeau up until midnight uh, that, uh, mm-hmm. that night had 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 he had he led us there, uh, you know, with with his book not I don't think dropping until next summer. Maybe we'll have an opportunity to have him on again. Yeah, I, I, you know Harrison and his football life has talked about that some. Honestly, I think Harrison just grew up. He talked about you know early in his career he was immature, didn't listen to coaches, got angry, you know that kind of stuff. Just was his own worst enemy. And so I think for Harrison, you can go back to that football life that the NFL Network did a year or two ago, and he talks about that quite a bit. And I think it was just you know he grew up and realized I'm out of chances. I'm playing in NFL Europe. Like I gotta put up or shut up if I want to make this thing work. Uh, a, one last one here from Xavier writes in. Uh, thank, thank you guys for the tremendous offseason content. Nobody, nobody is as in tune with the Pittsburgh Steelers than the Steelers Depot team, and that becomes more clear each offseason. Thanks for that, Xavier. He says, "I hate mock draft season, but the one thing I do pay attention to is the Vegas odds." Uh, right now, let's see. Did we get this the other day? I think didn't we get to this the other day? 
Uh, he says right now they have the line for Joey Porter at over or under 16 and a half with the betting favorite being over, meaning picked that uh, after 16. Vegas believes that the Steelers are probably going to have Joey Porter sitting. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, again, we did. I think we hit on this the other day there. But uh, uh, look, I mean, I, if you're still trying to decipher this as who who would who's the most prob who would be the most probable selection at 17 overall based on everything that we know right now and what we think or who we think might still be on the board it it still feels like uh Joey Porter Jr would have the lowest odds yeah it's a real coin flip i'm watching washington at 16 will they take him away a la william jackson that's kind of my thought. What are your what are your thoughts on Joy Porter Jr.? I kind of went through his tape some more uh, just just over this weekend to really just try to solidify my thoughts in, on Joy Porter Jr. I think there's a lot of questions about him uh, still. I mean, why? You know, a I would have liked to seen him targeted more. You know, mm-hmm. and then there's the whole penalty thing going back the last couple of years, and there is the whole lack of uh, uh, interception totals, but as, as yeah, I, I don't use that. I don't use the lack of interceptions as, as, as a benchmark, like I did with the playmaking aspect that had me so worried about, uh, Devin Bush years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, we've seen guys like Ramsey and the, the other names that we, we, we've named up that came into the league with low, low interception numbers that, that they ended up not being a thing. You know, uh, I think from an athletic standpoint, I think from a knowledge standpoint, I think from a uh, want to aspect, uh, uh, I mean, there's no, there's no, nothing that sticks out to me overall, other than maybe the grabbing and the clutching that makes, that would say, man, I'm not sure about him at 17. Yeah, and, and I think he cleaned that up a lot in his 2022 tape. I think he certainly certainly realized it was an issue, and I didn't see his grabbiness being a major concern in, in, in the handful of games that I watched. I think he's a pretty steady, consistent guy, and I mean, if he's not getting targeted that much, that's usually a good thing in terms of your quarterback play, that teams are just staying away from you. So you're right, he wasn't always challenged, but that's that's I would take that as a positive overall. I do, to your point, and again, this goes back to a little bit of he was not targeted quite as much, but not even just the interceptions, but even the past deflections, he had 11 of them on the season, but six of them came in the opener against Purdue. And then after that, it was really quiet. And so just, you know, I like his game. I think he, you know, he tackles well. I think he's well-rounded guy. He plays press, he plays off, he plays zone. He can do, I think those things all effectively. Um, Did you see the high end type of stuff though, that really got you out of your seat? No, maybe not. Yeah. And so, you know, again, is that partly because he was not targeted that much? And so teams kind of, you know, stayed away from him and did not allow him to make those high end plays. Maybe. Um, But I don't know if I saw those, you know, really high level wow plays that I saw with, say, Christian Gonzalez or even some of the wow that uh, Devon Witherspoon offers you. Right. Or Banks, right? Yeah. Or Banks. I think, yeah, I think what Banks does so well covering those vertical shots, I think is really impressive. The top end of his game is just just eliminating, erasing some of those downfield throws. But I think Porter, in terms of, you know, he's got good fluidity in his hips and, and can open his hips and and match those things vertical too. So they're kind of similar guys um, in terms of Porter and Banks, I would probably say. You keep going back to, and you look at the cornerback room uh, as it sits right now. And, you know, uh, obviously you've got, got Peterson on, on, on a two-year deal, but I mean, everybody else (laughs) in the room when it comes to next off season, right? 
I mean, what, what's, what's going to be there? I mean, that's why a, I mean, and it's been obvious for a while, they're going to address uh, the cornerback position in this draft. And they, they could quite honestly double dip and make a lot of people happy. If one of those guys can play in the slot, right. Mm -hmm. Including Uh, me, I'd be very happy about that. Uh, The thing is, is, you know, how early. Yeah, it's going to be 17 or 32. I don't think they go past 32 without taking right. a cornerback and who that is and where that is and how that all looks. I mean, different questions, but I think 32 is going to be the floor there. But um, yeah, that was me on Porter. I watched Brian Branch, too. I know he's not an outside guy, but just such good tape, such a smart player, good, good feel for routes break behind him. You know, he's a hitter. I know he's a bit lighter, but this dude has great pop. So I, I know that, you know, Branch has not been talked about maybe as much. And I got some heat for putting him at 17 in my last mock, but man, that is just a smart corner who plays faster than, than how we time. Right. Right. All right. Uh, anything else? I think we got through the questions here for the most part. Yep. We'll uh, come back Wednesday and see what there is. Just a reminder, live stream tonight, 7 PM Eastern Eastern time. Uh, Dave and I talking per an hour on my YouTube channel, answering your Steelers questions. All right. We look forward to that. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at Steelers Depot. Follow Alex on Twitter at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate to the cause, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button. Upper right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, you can go to SteedersDepot.com uh, and hit the ad free button. Upper right navigational bar and follow directions uh, that way. I think, uh, let's see, today's the seventh. Uh, 15 years tomorrow, Alex. For the site. Yeah, I was yeah. thinking about that. Hey, congratulations. That's, yeah. uh, that is rare error for sure. Uh, all right. Uh, we'll get back after it on Wednesday. We have, uh, don't we have a uh, round table in the end of the week as well too, right? Yep. On Friday. All right. Uh, enemy, uh, I think I got to everything. So with that, uh, as always, thanks for listening to the terrible podcast with Dave and Alex. Are adventure and relaxation on your mind? Jump in the car and head to Fauquier County, Virginia this weekend. Just a short drive from D.C. off I-66 and nestled in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. Fauquier County has it all, including picturesque hiking trails, Rappahannock River access, plus over 25 wineries, breweries, and cideries. Visit the many unique shops and farm-to-table restaurants of Fauquier County's towns and villages, or take in the many historical attractions suitable for all ages. Check out visitfauquiercounty.com. That's visit, F-A-U-Q-U-I-E-R.com. Fauquier County. Find what you love.